Chapter Twenty Four of Nan Sherwood at Lakeview Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Nan Sherwood at Lakeview Hall by Annie Rowe Carr. Chapter Twenty Four an unexpected misfortune as nan lay on the secret drawbridge she heard a stealthy footstep on the cement floor of the trunk room the step was light and plainly there was but one person approaching it must be one of the girls certainly it could not be mrs cupp for she was heavy-footed nan wished she had not been so foolish as to run for she was really frightened because of her position over the old cistern if the intruder was only one of the other girls coming to open a trunk she could have easily hidden the doll behind the boxes and waited until the girl had gone upstairs again before putting beautiful beulah properly away in her nest in a few minutes nan sat up and began to creep off the drop door as her weight was gradually removed from it the weights began to raise the door into its usual position there must have been some secret fastening to hold the door shut that was broken when nan's weight was cast against the plank wall her fall had been just at the right place to start the door swinging downward now when she carefully stepped away from the partition having risen to her full height the secret door swung up and closed tightly she could not feel its edge on either side with her fingers but that was not what she was most interested in just then the secret door puzzled her but the step in the cellar impressed nan as being of more importance she peered around the tiers of boxes to see the other girl it was linda riggs the trunks belonging to those girls whose names began with r were right next to those whose owners names commenced with s the electric bulb near nan's trunk gave linda light enough for her purpose nan saw her take a key from her purse and open her trunk with it that would not have been surprising only for the fact that the key had no tag attached to it such as mrs cupp fastened to all the trunk keys left in her charge nan saw that linda watched the door of the trunk room sharply as she rummaged to the bottom of her trunk the girl was evidently down here without mrs cupp's knowledge and was afraid of being caught that's another key nan whispered to herself why she owns two and mrs cupp doesn't know it she watched linda without saying a word linda on the other hand paid no attention to nan's open trunk seeing no other girl about probably led her to believe that whoever had been in the trunk room ahead of her had carelessly gone out leaving her trunk open and the door open and the lamp lit as well linda soon obtained the article she desired a small flat parcel and with this after relocking her trunk she went away nan was curious enough to watch to see how linda went upstairs 
surely she had not come down past mrs cupp's open door that suspicion was verified when nan saw linda turn into the passage leading to the kitchen it was an hour in the afternoon when one might pass up the kitchen stairs without being observed by the busy women preparing supper besides as linda was always giving presents to the servants they might be conveniently blind to her movements nan went back with bulah and put her carefully away in the box at the bottom of her trunk the mystery of the secret door was overshadowed in her mind by the actions of linda riggs i guess we're all deceivers nan considered i'm deceitful myself and linda riggs is positively dishonorable mrs cupp would be very angry if she knew linda was down here without permission and had a private key to her trunk and all we girls seem to be just delighted to break the rules or try to fool the teachers it really is dreadful i guess we all must think that the rules are made only to be broken oh dear perhaps if there were no laws none of us would care to go wrong concluded nan perhaps striking the keynote of all human frailty she went rather soberly upstairs and delivered her own trunk key and the door key to the matron who she was glad asked no questions the afternoon mail had just arrived may winslow was acting as postmistress for the week and the girls were crowding about the office table on which may had sorted the letters either dr prescott or mrs cupp had run through the mail first letters from home were never held up suspicious-looking letters had to be opened in the matron's presence nan's only missive this day was an unexpected one from scotland she had grown to know just how the foreign mails were carried and when to look for a letter bearing the emberon postmark somehow this unexpected epistle frightened nan she hurried up to room seven corridor four to read the letter alone her chum was not there and for once nan was glad of it sitting by the window where the light was fading nan opened her letter my dearest child since writing you day before yesterday we have received quite a shock your dear father is in such a state of mind that he cannot write to you about it i am calm myself dearest nan because i know that our heavenly father will not see us troubled more greatly than we can bear i have all the time had perfect confidence in the final adjustment of mr huey blake's estate and the establishment of our clear title to it it seemed as though this already was a fact but a new difficulty has arisen just as mr andrew blake was about to take possession of the property in our name a court order restrained him a new branch of the family at least a newly discovered claimant by the name of blake has appeared there are two sisters maiden ladies who claim that their mother was married to a man named hugh blake who afterwards separated from her they have only recently found their mother's marriage lines and their own birth certificates 
proving the marriage and their own title to any property of which their father may have died possessed. Mr. Andrew Blake pooh-poohs this claim as he did the others. He is positive that Mr. Huey Blake was never married. He was, in fact, notoriously a woman-hater. But while the Laird of Emberon was on his continental travels many years ago, his steward, Huey Blake, was for two years away from Castle Emberon. These two years correspond with the years in which these Blake sisters claim their father lived with their mother in a north of England shire. This is the story, dear Nan, the details of which will not interest you much, only as they affect our financial situation. We are greatly in Mr. Andrew Blake's debt at the present time. Your father is writing by this mail to the lawyer in Tilbury to raise money on our little home by a mortgage, to pay these debts and to pay your school bills for the remainder of the year. This holding up of our fortune is only temporary, I am sure. I am trusting in our father's goodness still. I will not be alarmed, but the delay worries your poor papa very much. Our friends here are very kind to us, and Mr. Andrew Blake urges us to accept his financial aid again. But Papa Sherwood can be, you know, the most stubborn of men when he wants to be. There was more of the letter, intimate, tender passages that Nan could have shown to nobody. Her mother's heart was opened wide to the girl, as it always was when they were together. Mumsy and she had been much more intimate than mothers and little daughters usually are. Mrs. Sherwood now confided in Nan as she would have done had they been at home together. The hour darkened, and Nan could no longer see to read as she sat by the window. She put the letter away and bathed her eyes and face before turning on the light. In fact, she was still in the dark when Bess came romping in. Nan seemed no more quiet to Bess than she had for several days. "'I declare,' cried Bess, "'I'd just as soon room with a funeral mute as with a girl who won't talk. You're the limit, Nan Sherwood.' And she went off to join some of the girls who were under no ban of silence. End of chapter 24 Recording by Linda Ray Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.